Our Lord, you tell us when you pray, and praying is like breathing. We breathe in and we breathe out. Uh, we breathe in your promises and your commands. We're to labor six days. We pray for work for our sister Roberta, that she will be able to work, to be able to provide her needs and help out at her home, continue to bring healing to Jen, we pray, and work in both Jennifer and Kristen, that through these trials they've been through, and through the trials Roberta's been through, and the way you're blessing them, we pray that they would glorify you and honor you and be part of your kingdom by submitting to Christ. And we pray for our brother Joe Parisi. We don't know what the exact situation is, but Lord, he has so many illnesses. Please, O oh God, might you bring healing to him, strength to him. Thank you that he has been doing so much better. May we be able to minister to our brother and be an encouragement to him. Lord, one of your names is Jehovah Rapha, of the Lord our healer. And we pray that you will be the healer to him. And now, our Lord, as we look at the section on Holy Scripture, beginning in the Confession of Faith, Lord, help us to realize why you say you have magnified your word above all your name. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Okay. Now, um, your catechism. You, you are going to be working through this and I'm going to use a nasty word, memorize. All right, now you don't, you're going to go through the questions, and this week we're doing just one through three. So that's why I want you to bring your catechism every week. I want you to be working on memorizing it. I have a ways that I can, will it remind you of what you need to memorize? And just so you know the goal, um, we always tell men preparing for the ministry at least memorize answers 1 to 39 okay so we're going to be going through 1 to 39 between now and june 23rd um so be memorizing it and if you get done we're going to do this in three parts over three semesters so to speak um but this is the this is the longest one um but when you get all of those right and we'll have ways to test you you'll get a prize I don't know what the prize is, but it'll be something you'll really enjoy, okay? So here we go. The Shorter Catechism. And remember the goal is, in all of this, how do you use this stuff to present the gospel to other people? Don't, don't just get in the mindset of learning doctrine. How do you use it, okay? Now, let's, let's see. Who else needs these? No, I've got one. Are you kidding? An Orthodox Presbyterian who doesn't have a catechism. That'd be like a priest who doesn't have incense. All right, so here we go. Chief end of man is, is basically what's, what's man's great purpose, okay? You can be looking at your catechism, but you better have it memorized for next week. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Here's how you use this. Diagnostic question. As you're talking with someone and you feel the, the liberty just to, to go heart to heart, so may I ask you a question? Sure. Why are you here? That's an interesting one. It'd be interesting to hear the answers that you get from that. Why are you here? Your, <laughs> your chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, okay? So that's how, one of the ways you can use that. Now, 
What, and you don't have to use half, okay? You can use has. What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? All right, so let's do the answer together. Then I'll give you the kind of question you can, you can ask, okay? What rule has God given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. Oh, you're great, good. Wait till you do it without your catechism in front of you. Contained in is not like this, con- this, there, this contains 10% juice. All right, that's not what that means. The word of God, which means it's enclosed in. You get the word of God out of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. That's where it's contained. You don't, don't go beyond it is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. All right, here's your question that you ask as you're ministering to people. By what standard do you govern your life? And somebody says, I, I am my own standard. Oh, say, okay, let me ask you a question then. Let's say you're really sick and you're brought into a pharmacy and you have no idea what all of these things are, and there's no one you can ask. Now what do you do for your sickness? You have to have a pharmacist. You have to have someone who can direct you with these medications. You've got to have a God who knows all things, okay? And that's, so your standard is the word of whom? God, which is contained where? In the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Is that next word important, the only rule to direct us? how we may glorify and enjoy him. Is, is that an important word only? Yes. Why? That is really important. I go, I go to Jim Gaffey and I say, Jim, you want to glorify and enjoy God? Then you and your family, you need to move to Istanbul. This week, what do you say? <laughs> You say, uh, Pastor, where do you get that out of the Word of God? And we'll come back to that today, okay? And then number three, okay, so your question is by what standard? <coughs> number three, what do the Scriptures principally teach together? The Scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Now, duty... Ultimately, the duty is faith, but it, but it works itself out into obedience to his revealed will. So the question that you're going to ask people, so the person says, okay, I'll, uh, I'll grant you there's some God out there, and uh, he governs us, and say, how do, you, how do you know how to obey him? How do you know what he wants of you? The word of the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So, you see, you can use these things and, and ministering to people. That's how, when you think the default, what, is, what do these things say? It helps you in your ministry to other people. Okay, so you're going to memorize that because next week I will pick on you. Marlena, are you ready for me to pick on you next week? Sure. Yeah, because you love to memorize these things. Great. So I guarantee you I will pick on you for one of the questions. Okay, good, good, good. Nan. Now that you're done your last, well, not you're, you're coming in, you're not yet in your last, in, last semester. You'll have time to memorize that this week, won't you? Yeah. Good, I'll pick on you. <laughs> Roberta, you ready to be picked on next week? 
All right, I'll pick on you next week. But, but, but I may call on others as well. The fact that I've said Marlena and Nan and Roberta does not mean I will not call on others. So you will be memorizing your catechism, okay? What's man's chief end? Glorify God and to enjoy him forever, okay? And what rule has God given to direct us so we may glorify him? The word of God, which is contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy him. You're doing well. And what do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty, duty, God requires of man. Very good, okay? And duty is obedience to his revealed will. What's his revealed will? It's given scripture, okay? Thank you, Mrs. Shishko, for bringing me coffee. And I will take a sip. As you turn to your catechisms, are your confession chapter one. Okay. 1643, 16 to 1646 and 1647, an assembly of learned divines meets in a special room of the Westminster, of what is now known as Westminster Abbey in England, and for four years hammers out what we know of as the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechisms. Here's the goal. The goal is unity among the Presbyterian and Reformed people in England, Scotland, and on the continent. Lutherans had already become kind of a halfway house of the Roman Catholic Church, so these were the Reformed and Presbyterian churches, and the divines were to represent that. One problem in England, and it was called the Episcopalians, or the Anglicans, for various reasons, they, uh, having come to power after this, they don't want the Westminster Confession. Scottish uh, Presbyterian Church does. In 1647, 1648, they adopt it. 1788, Presbyterians adopt this in the United States of America. And in 1936, the OPC adopts the Confession of Faith with a few little minor changes that had come in, but it's essentially still Westminster Confession of Faith. Why confession? The word confession means to say, to confess, say the same thing as. The goal of any confession is that it says what the scriptures say. And I was reminded again, going over this again, my father, my spiritual father in the Reformed faith, G.I. Williamson, if you really want to study in more detail than we'll do here, G.I. Williamson's study guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith is quite a remarkable book. And we have extra copies if you'd like one of those. And text, and we will get to the, this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Follow the pattern. And, and the word that, that he uses here would be something like prototype. It's, it's not exactly, but it's very similar to it. Follow the, the pattern or the form or the model of the healthy words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, it's not enough that you learn doctrine. In fact, just learning doctrine can damn you because knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And so Paul, notice how the Holy Spirit through Paul, that you've in the, if received these things that you've heard from me in the faith and love 
that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. The good deposit is something that's passed down from one person to another, from one generation to another. And that's another one of the many texts, especially toward the end of the New Testament. Now, we'll get to this later. The, the, with the coming of Christ, my, you have, you have the Word of God in the flesh, you have the angels that come, um, you, you have the, the apostles who will be called out. And so the Word of God is, is spreading, okay? Well, the apostles now are dying off. And, but, but also, they are writing things. And as you come to the end of the New Testament, you have these indicators that the Word of God is not going to continue to come by prophets and apostles, but rather it's going to be written. It's going to be, it's going to be there for them, to, again, the language, the pattern, the form, the model of sound words that you've heard from me. Um, guard the good deposit, guard what has been passed down to you. And, and that's pretty much what we're doing with this form of sound doctrine that's given to us. Okay, so now that's chapter, chapter 1 of the Holy Scripture. And here, here is the big question that you ask, how can I know God? All right, and, and these are things you can use with people, whether children, grandchildren, neighbors, or whatever. How can I know God? And the first part of, and, and we're going to take five weeks um, to go through this section. This is the only Reformed confession that begins with the Scriptures. And if I had only one reason for loving and, and wanting to learn the confession of faith, it would be that this begins with Holy Scripture, and it's a marvelous statement of what the scriptures teach. Um, so this week we're going to look at general and special revelation. Uh, next week, why don't we use the Apocrypha the way the Roman Catholic Church does? Uh, what, how do you, what's the authority of the Word of God? And then uh, David's going to begin teaching in February something called internal testimony. What does that mean? The sufficiency of scripture, um, the clarity of scripture, the, the, the preservation of the scriptures is a very interesting topic. The interpretation of the scriptures, and then at the very end, what's the supreme judge in all controversies? And obviously, the scriptures. So it's a rich, rich section. Okay, so chapter one of the Holy Scripture, how can I know God? And there's two ways. One is general revelation, and the second is special revelation. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence, what God has made and how governs, God governs the world, do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God so as to leave men unexcusable. And let's stop here for just a moment. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And Paul, in Romans 1, the language that's used here, because, and I'm using the, the, the King James text that's, that's given in the OPC edition, because that which may be, Romans 1, 19 and 20, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Within your own being, there's a declaration of God and his handiwork. Amen. Okay. Um, and and, and is, is manifest in the for God has showed it unto them. This is Romans 1, 19 and 20. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What does that mean? Look at the universe, the greatness of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the, 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 the magnificence of God reflected in those things. Yeah, people are without excuse. It's not that unbelievers don't know enough. They, they know, it's just that they know so much, they suppress that truth in unrighteousness a sense of justice in the world, even in hardened unbelievers. You have someone who kills five children in a family, and it doesn't make any difference if a person's a rank atheist, he or she is not going to sit there and say, oh, that's okay, so what? They're angry with that. That reflects the justice of God. When you say punishment for something, okay, so all of these things declare something of God and his greatness. And again, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. But, but you stop there. The fact of the matter is, if our own consciences bear witness that we've sinned, what do you do with that? What do you do with the sense of our own imperfection? What do you do with the sense that one day there is going to be a judgment, okay? And so the second part of the confession, yet they, that is the light of nature and the works of creation and providence, are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. And so you can't from a tree get this is life eternal. John 17 and, and verse 3, that they may know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. You don't learn about Jesus Christ from the Hubble telescope. You'll learn about something of the greatness of God. But when it comes down to your heart of hearts and how you deal with it, um, things under a microscope aren't going to help you a whole lot. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 21, after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom did not know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, not that preaching's foolish, but the world thinks it's foolish, to save those who believe. You need to hear the gospel. Now, you're without excuse, even if you don't hear the gospel. Be careful of this. People will say, I've heard this from people. What about, what about a person in a remote area? They've never heard the gospel. And, and then they die. What's going to happen to them? Well, I guess, you know, they're really sincere and they're seeking after God and they want to do the, the right thing, they'll probably be in heaven. That's called heresy. There's one God and one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus. And you'll call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Not sincerity. He. Now, that's hard teaching, but, but people are without excuse. 
And you can, you can develop that a little bit farther as you go on. Okay, so, so yet there's not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore, I love that, it pleased the Lord at sundry, that is, at, at various times, and in diverse or various manners, to reveal himself and to declare that his will unto his church. Now, let's, let's look first at these diverse manners here. So with your Bibles, uh, and I, I, you're going to all have different versions, but the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and verses 1 and 2. So you're toward the end of your New Testaments. And uh, you should have a Bible of your own, we can mark it. But uh, right after Titus and Philemon, before James, for first and second Peter, there's Hebrews, Okay. <clears throat> Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, there were other ways God spoke to people than through the prophets. Moses, God spoke to him immediately, from this burning bush. In dreams, like the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, or that Pharaoh had, God spoke to them through those dreams. Now, it's interesting, they needed an interpreter to understand what that was. Angels came, and, and probably in most cases, those angels represented Christ and so the angels came, they spoke to Abraham. The angels came and they, they spoke to Samson's family. They, okay, so, so there were various ways that God spoke, but it's primarily through, to, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Now, what's a prophet? Please do not call a preacher a prophet. And please don't say that the prophet is one who foretells the future. Sometimes they do. A prophet brings the word of God to people. Now, that's, and you might want to leave your, your finger here in, in Hebrews chapter 1, but here's the way the scriptures themselves describe what a, what a prophet is. Okay, if you look in the book of Exodus, go back to the, the second book of the Bible. Uh, chapter 4, Genesis, Exodus 4. And, and this is fascinating. <laughs> this is Moses and God, and they're having a back and forth. And, and Moses says, oh, I'm supposed to go to Pharaoh and speak to him, but behold, and, and this is, he says, oh, Lord, uh, stop and think about this, okay? Behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord didn't appear to you. And you can see Moses' point. How are they going to, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and say, the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, who are you, buddy? You know, that, that, that's the idea. So he, says, so he says, the Lord said to him, what's in your hand? And he said, well, what does that have to do with, with the Lord speaking? You'll see in a moment. He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. And so he threw it on the ground. It became a snake, a serpent. Moses ran from it. So it was real. It wasn't, it wasn't just look like a snake. It was that. But the Lord said to Moses, 
put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it. If you don't like snakes, but the Lord tells you to catch it by the tail, you do it. He caught it and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Now, those are called miracles, right? God speaking, if they won't believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, the snake, they may believe the latter sign, the hand, leprous, and non-leprous. If they won't believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, and he goes through other miracles that will be done. When people come today and say, I have a sign for you from the Lord, you say, in the scriptures, signs from the Lord are given to authenticate that the person speaking is giving the word of God. Are you adding to the word of God? And brothers and sisters, we've got to be this blunt. Because people give up millions of dollars every year to phonies who in the name of Christ say they are giving signs that they're spokesmen for God. A sign was given to authenticate the prophets and the apostles in the Old Testament. Now, as you go on, now Moses says, okay, the son, they've got to hear me. <clears throat> Moses says to the Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? A great answer. That's how when the scriptures come, people say, well, how can people who are full of mistakes and errors, how can they write the word of God? Who made their minds? Who gave their hands, right? So the Lord says, well, all right, who, who made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Isn't it I the Lord? Now, therefore, you go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you'll so speak. And this is how familiar Moses is with God. He says, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I can't imagine he said this, but he did. And then the anger of the Lord, not judgment anger, but these, you know, when God speaks, you listen. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him. Listen carefully. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I'll be with your mouth and with his mouth, and we'll teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people." And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And then do the signs. We say, well, what does that have to do with the prophet? Chapter 7 and verse 1. The Bible defines itself. The Lord says to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. The one who is given the word of God by God himself and who speaks it, that's a prophet. Not a preacher who has a completed scripture who preaches it. Somebody who's given the word of God. Moses, here's the lesson. 
I'm going to speak the word to you. You're going to take those words and put them in Aaron's mouth. Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. He's going to be your prophet. And you will be as God to him. Somebody comes to you and says, oh, I've got the gift of prophecy. Say, really? It's very dangerous to add to the word of God. And you'll see how dangerous it is in a little bit. Say, what do you mean? Say, no, a prophet brings the word of God. And the scriptures are completed. And it's pretty dangerous to add to them. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not really bringing you the word of God. Well, then you're not a prophet. I mean, if somebody comes to your house, they say, you know, I'm, I'm really, I am, I am excellent with electrical things. Everything connected with, with wiring and, and everything connected with, if you still use fuses, I don't know who used them, your, 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 your uh, cure box, whatever. I, I'm really excellent at all this. Um, and I'm a plumber. No, no, wait a minute, you're not a plumber, you're an electrician. Now, somebody comes to you and they say, I, I, I'm a prophet. I want to teach you what the Word of God says. Say, well, well, you may be a teacher, but you're not a prophet. You don't bring the Word of God by immediate revelation. And that's obviously very applicable to today. Anyway, so now back to Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days, last days, whole period, from the first coming of Christ to his end, to the end, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. Old Testament, before Christ, points us forward, all the words of the Old Testament point you forward to the Word made flesh. Prophets in the Old Testament point you forward to Jesus the Word. Priests in the Old Testament point you forward to Jesus the priest. Kings in the Old Testament point you forward to Jesus the king. God acting to protect his people in the Old Testament point you. See what I mean? Okay, so in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. He is the supreme revelation of God. Notice it is given to the church. The Bible's not given to the world. You give the Bible to the world. It's not given to the world. That's one of the reasons why we ought to have some hesitation about such and such and such a publishing company that is not a, a friend of God at all deciding it's going to take on the task of interpreting the Scriptures. I don't think so. Because interpreting the Scriptures is a holy calling, and you need the Holy Spirit. Um, Psalm 147, verses 19 and 20. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his rules or his judgments to Israel. To Israel, Jacob, language of the Lord's people. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They don't know his rules or his judgments. Praise the Lord. It's not that you're praising the Lord that they don't know his judgments. You're praising the Lord that the church of the Old Testament does. Now that's why Paul says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. It's to uphold the truth of the word of God and supremely the truth of Jesus to all of the world. Okay? And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth... And for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, 
to commit the same wholly unto writing. Wow. The scriptures tell you themselves that the word of God is to be written. Uh, Luke chapter, uh, chapter 1 in verses 3 and 4. Luke is writing to Theophilus. Theophilus means a lover of God who's a disciple. And, and probably a Gentile. It seemed good to me also. This is Luke writing under the inspiration of God, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto you in order, most excellent Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of these things wherein you have been, the word there literally is catechized, instructed. Luke, Luke had worked with Theophilus. Luke, Luke was discipling Theophilus. And he's telling Theophilus about this Jesus and what he was born, what he did. He was giving him a whole, a whole panorama of the life of Christ. Well, now Luke's going to leave Theophilus. And so he says, I'm going to write these things to you. I'm going to write them so that you can study, so you can remember, so you can memorize, so that you can, here's the language that, that's given in here, to write these things that you may know the certainty of these things in which you have been instructed. Now that's pregnant with significance. Luke would have written these things when there were a number of people still alive who knew Jesus. And, and you can imagine Theophilus going to somebody could have been a Greek living in Jerusalem, we don't know, but he could have gone to somebody and said, hey, uh, you know, this thing about the birth of Jesus to a virgin, you ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. In fact, I saw this Jesus. And in fact, in one of these informal occasions, he confirmed that because all that Jesus said is, is not what's given in the Gospels. The Gospels record what Jesus said, but Jesus would have said more things, even even John says that you couldn't contain the books that could be written of these things. That's huge. People say, oh, well, well um, yeah, this stuff in the New Testament, it, it's really legend. It was written a couple hundred years afterwards. Hello, we have manuscripts in the first century. But anyway, but no, 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 no. Luke says, go ahead, ask around. And people can confirm these things that you've learned. But I put them in writing for that certainty for you. Um, in in uh, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus. Jesus answers, he doesn't say, incidentally, uh, Satan, this is just something that I've kind of heard through the grapevine, or I read it, I read it on Facebook. He, he says, Jesus says in Matthew 4, it is written. Where? Deuteronomy. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Later, Jesus says to the devil, it's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And then said Jesus unto him, get you hence, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. This is why I've come. It used to be, <clears throat> why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And I use the proofs we'll come to. The Bible declares itself to be the word of God, shows itself, and we'll come to that next week. But, and you can do that if you want. Why do I believe the Bible is the word of God? Because I follow Jesus. And Jesus is the truth. He quoted the scriptures. He even says, Matthew 19, that what was written came from God. And, and, and therefore, I believe about the scriptures what, what he did. 
All right. So, so, but, but that's why the scriptures are written. Beautiful summary. <clears throat> the church. It's to for the sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan. Jesus was faced with that. He quoted scripture to commit the same wholly unto writing, which makes the holy scripture to be most necessary. Most necessary. Um, we'll come back to this later. But again, if you don't have the Word of God, and you know some sense, you have some sense of the mess that you are by nature and that we're in in the world, you are a person in a pharmacy with several thousand different types of chemicals, and you have no idea what to do with them, and you can kill yourself by them. And just, if I could put it this way, just think logically for a moment. This God who made the world and loves this fallen world, is he going to lead people to do that? No, he's going to speak to them, and he's going to assure that his words are given in writing and preserved, and we'll come back to that, okay? So, so <clears throat> to be most necessary... Um, and the language in, in 2 Timothy 3.15, from a child you've known, the holy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's the summary of the Bible. You, the, the Scriptures, they're not magic. They, they tell you about Christ. And, and they tell you about his saving work. And they tell you what believing in Jesus is. And the Lord says, you're to walk in my fear. You want to be wise? You don't want to destroy yourself? Then read the scriptures and learn about salvation in Christ. Second Peter 1.19, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, now listen to this. Um, Whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. What's he talking about? Peter had seen Jesus and Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's Revelation. Okay, he saw them. He heard God speak. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Well, if you have a catalog of experience, I think that's pretty much top of the list, right? Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says, we got something better. The scriptures. Again, if you, if you look at the, at the whole text in 2 Peter chapter 1, that would be after Hebrews, and then let's wrap this up. Hebrews, James, and 2 Peter chapter 1. Beginning at verse 19. <clears throat> we have the 18. We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, even then than what we saw on the mountain, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this above all else. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever uttered by the will of man. didn't ultimately come from what Isaiah or Jeremiah or Moses wanted, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Wow! This is toward the end of the New Testament. 
And, and Peter says later he's going to talk about Paul's writings as being like this, as scripture. But that's how the scriptures declare themselves to be most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing unto his will to his people being now ceased. It's called the cessationist view. What does that mean? No, there's not a continued gift of prophecy. Period. People say, well, well prophecy is, is really kind of a, you know, it's a sense the Holy Spirit gives you that, that this is what the Word of God says. No, it's not. Prophecy is the giving of the Word of God by immediate revelation. If you want to say that gift continues, and you'll have a completed scripture. Now, people say, yes, but we still have the gift of tongues. Tongues, brothers and sisters, is the word of God given in a foreign language. And there's reasons for that. Um, basically, tongues was a judgment statement on Israel that the kingdom had been taken away from it and was given to the Gentiles. But at Pentecost, it was a way of people speaking the wonderful works of God in their own language. That's what tongues are. They're the giving of the word of God in a foreign language. I have the gift of tongues. Then you're saying the word of God is not complete. No, I'm not saying that. I say I have the gift of tongues. Wait a minute. The gift of tongues is giving the word of God in a foreign language. Well, that's not what I believe tongues are. It doesn't make any difference. That's what the word of God says the gift of tongues is. The one place where that gift is described, Paul says, when I pray, which is part of worship, I pray in a tongue the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in me prays, and my mind is unfruitful. The Spirit, if, 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 if I'm going to speak the Word of God in a language I don't know, the Holy Spirit, as it were, bypasses my own brain, takes over my vocal mechanism so that I speak the Word of God in Swahili or, or in Albanian or some other language I don't know. Prophecy works through your mind. The Word of God takes, as he does the writers of the Scriptures, your own thought forms, your own vocabulary. You speak the Word of God through it. Tongues and prophecy are the giving of the Word of God. Why is that important? And we're going to pray. What's your final authority for your life? Scriptures. Scriptures. When someone comes to you and says, God said to me this, uh-uh. God hasn't said that in his word. And let me end with this. We'll come back to this one because there's a further section on this. <clears throat> the book of Revelation is about three-fourths just material from the Old Testament. And, and it brings together the whole flow of, of biblical imagery, symbolism, teaching in, in a, a, a unique way, a magnificent way. The Old Testament had this warning, Deuteronomy 4.2, you don't add to the words that I command you, neither you do take away from them, that you might keep the commandments of the Lord your God. To be real blunt, Pastor Shishko may believe that you should never eat rattlesnake meat. I know why you'd want to eat it anyway. But Pastor Shishko says, nope, you're going to follow the Lord, never eat rattlesnake meat. Excuse me. The Word of God doesn't say that. 
If you like rattlesnake meat, eat it. But, but pastors will do this in various ways. And they will end up adding to what the Word of God says. Revelation chapter 22. Verse 18, very end of the scriptures, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy, the word of God of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. People say, oh, it's describing the book of Revelation. Yeah, Revelation is about three-fourths other parts of the Bible. And it's another way of saying, don't add to the scriptures, period. Okay. So, <clears throat> uh, we can be very loose about this. Well, you know, we don't want to draw lines where we should. Well, shouldn't we? So this church, you know, we don't have a problem. People say they've got the gift of prophecy or tongues. We're not going to make a big deal of it. Really? You're either going to misunderstand what tongues and prophecy are, or you ain't going to have a sufficient scripture. Neither is the right option. See the wonder of the confession? Now, did I bore you? I still have my work. <laughs> you see how thrilling doctrine can be when you... When you st All right. John, you awake? Yep. Yeah, okay. Even though you had your treatment this week, you still okay? Yep. Good. Good. Why don't you go stand and you're going to lead us in prayer.